Hello and welcome back to Fan Theory. I'm Alex Weiss here at the Fan Theory Podcast. Joining me, it's Felicia Wellington Riddell. Hello. Hey, Felicia. Hey. How are you? Good. Nice. <laughs> it's been a long day. I'm sorry. It, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. It, it has been a long day. Um, so uh, why don't we and the Fan Theory listenership uh, just kind of kick back with a nice mug of warm tea. I'm, yes. I'm thinking some oolong tea that helps settle the stomach, I find. Sure. And uh, enjoy our latest episode of Fan Theory. Felicia, who are we talking to today? Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox. Uh, how would uh, if if somehow there's anyone out there in Fan Theory land who doesn't know Charlie Cox just by name alone or voice alone? Daredevil. He's Daredevil. That's right. Uh, Charlie Cox, star of Netflix's Daredevil, is talking with us not about Daredevil though, about his new film King of Thieves. It's a uh, it's a heist uh, drama character piece um, co-starring Charlie Cox and a couple actors you may have heard of, uh, folks like uh, Michael Kine. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, you you can't say that man's name and not say it in his voice. The funniest thing is I know someone named Michael Kane who's not him. Yeah, and I still want to do it. Is it the owner of the Kane Brewery? No, because the owner of the Kane Brewery, I guess Ocean now Cash, I know three. is named Michael Kane. <laughs> so, uh, King of Thieves co-stars Michael Kane, Jim Broadbent, Tom Courtney, uh, Paul Whitehouse, Michael Gambon, and Ray Winstone. So, just if you needed a Mount Rushmore of of, Some of, the of English stars actors, from, yeah. then although Mount Rushmore, I don't think would work because that's a very American thing. But whatever the English equivalent of Mount Rushmore is, a Magna Carta. No, I'm kidding. That's not. <laughs> In 1066. Is that? Yes. Um, <laughs> no, it, seriously, uh, Charlie Cox is joined by uh, some of the all-time greats of stage and screen acting in this film. It's directed by James Marsh, who did the terrific documentary Man on Wire. And uh, Felicia, how'd you enjoy getting to chat with uh, Charlie about this film? It was delightful. It really was. Um, you could kind of, you could definitely sense in the couple of minutes we had with him, his general enthusiasm for how great it was to work with these guys. And it was a pleasure to chat with him about that experience. Yeah, and we totally slipped in some Daredevil questions. <laughs> we did. We did. And he, like, so a, stay tuned for he like a true English gentleman, answered them politely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, enjoy the latest episode of Fan Theory featuring Charlie Cox talking about King of Thieves. By the way, the film, which is a Saban Films release, um, is in uh, select theaters available through video on demand services and digital HD starting today. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Cox. King of Thieves, it's a reunion with you and the director, James Marsh. He directed you in Theory of Everything. So what was that reunion right. like? Oh, man, it was such a thrill, to be honest. I was so, I'd had such a good time with working with James and had, you know, really one of the best creative experiences of my life on Theory of Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to be able to get to work with him again was wonderful as it was, but to, to get to do so on this film with this cast was like, it's almost too good to be true. I remember when I found out they were interested in me, it was almost like I couldn't sleep for a few nights. <laughs> um, it, was, it, was too, it just felt like too good to be true. Yeah. Now he's, he's more, he seems like a big documentarian. A lot of the things that he works on are these true stories. Does that give you, like, what's his direction like? Does that give you room to make it your own? Is he a little bit stricter with this is the true material? Like, what's, what's that aspect of it? 
I think that, you know, the, the truth is, I think that's the way to go with this, with a story like this. I think, I, was, I remember thinking that was a very smart move because there'd been two other films about, about it. And also, when you hear this story, it's one of those complicated ones to make into a film because it, because it, it it's almost, it's almost, if you, if you, if it hadn't happened in real life and you made a movie of it, you wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not quite, it's quite, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's too bizarre, it's too crazy, the story mm-hmm. that happened. So I remember thinking that if you're going to tell the story, the way to make it is to make it in a documentary style. Mm-hmm. You know, make a fictional version of a docu- of, of, a, of a story, but in a documentary, documentary style, so that it, it feels, it has the, the feeling of a true story. Um, and obviously, if that's, if you're going to do that, then James Marsh is obviously your best candidate because he makes such compelling films and documentaries. Yeah. Now, um, here in America, it's not as well known, this heist that it's based on. So I'd just right. be curious, how much did you know about the heist, like the intricate details before taking this role? Well, I knew a lot because I knew, because I was so aware of it, because mm-hmm. I'm British and I think I was in England at the time when it happened. So mm-hmm. I, rem- I remember reading about it. I remember seeing the news, um, you know, and then I remember a few months later when it came out that the, the guys who did it were all like in their 70s and, yeah. and how crazy that was and what an incredible story and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I knew that. I didn't know the, the intricate, intricate details. And obviously I, when we got, when I got the, the job, I started doing a lot more research and, you know, Joan Penhill who wrote the script had been, he'd been deep in the, in the nitty gritty of the details and the police transcripts for a long time. So he, he kind of, he shed a lot of light on the on on the details that the, of the public don't necessarily have, um, but um, the, you know the, the tricky thing for us and the interesting thing for me in particular was that the one character that we know very little about was Basil. Mm-hmm. He's the one that we had to kind of invent a little bit. We know he was there. We know he was part of a gang, but he's the one they never found. They don't know how old he is. They don't know his real name. They don't know why he was. You know, they know that he was involved with shutting down the alarm systems and that he was the one that was quite good with computers and, and the technology side of things. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's, there's almost nothing, no, no information on him. So for, for, that was quite fun for me to get to invent that a little bit with Joe yeah. and Jane. <laughs> now, for, for film fans like Felicia and myself, one of the uh, one of the little thrills about this film was um, the, the way uh, your director uh, very tastefully incorporates scenes and uh, and elements from some of your co-stars' previous work, films that a couple of folks out there might have seen in the past, <laughs> and it really um, it 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 drives home the magnitude of seeing folks like Michael Caine, Ray Winstone, Jim Broadbent all on the screen together at the same time. And what was that like for you to get to be? in the same sandbox as this crew of guys and just, you know, getting down to work together? Well, man, it was, for me, it's like a dream come true. You know, it's like, I, I'm, I still kind of feel like I'm, I'm pinching myself that it happened. I'm still kind of amazed that I was allowed in the same room as these guys. I mean, you know, don't forget, as a British actor, these guys are my heroes, man. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been watching them all my life, and to have all of them in, in the same room at the same time and for me to be part of that is like, <laughs> you know, it will be one of the, one of the, when I, you know, the, at the end of my career, whenever that is, hopefully in, in many years from now, um, the, you know, I will, I will never forget that, the, the time I spent on that film with those guys. And there probably won't be very many ge- actors of my generation who got to work with those guys in multiple things, let alone all in the one same project. You know what I mean? So, yeah. oh, absolutely. um, Put it this way: the uh, the um, 
the uh, the uh, the own the only uh, poster that I have of anything I've ever done in my house is sort of King of Thieves. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so kind of continuing on this thread, uh, you know, your character Basil spends a lot of time on screen opposite Michael Caine's. Um, Michael Caine being the legendary Michael Caine, I believe, is part of his name, right? <laughs> um, so just continuing on this thread, being opposite him, spending all that time with him, I mean, what was that like? Did he have words of advice for you? Is he as charming as I believe he is? <laughs> Off yeah, <screen? laughs> he was just everything... It was just everything that you want Michael Caine to be. He was incredibly kind and generous and professional and, and you know, nice to everyone and, you know, just a great example, you know, a great, a great, uh, a great, um, you know, a great example of what an icon of, of, of any sort should be, you know, and I, I, I you know, I, I would go into his trailer in the morning and we'd read the scenes together and, and uh, you know, we'd chat a little bit, you know, he's obviously, he's almost 10 years older than the character he was playing, mm. so um, so uh, it's a, it, it, in some ways it's as much of a feat to what he achieved as it is what the the character Brian Reader achieved in doing pulling off the heist. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was just a thrill, man. It was a thrill, and obviously I don't want I didn't want to be someone who had a million questions, and I don't want to be like a fanboy or anything like that. But but you know, over the course of a few months, you know, he should. He was kind enough to share some some fun anecdotes of, over the course of his career and things that had happened on films he'd worked on, and you know, and it's it's always funny when you hear someone say, um, you know, when someone says, "Well, you know, I did this movie once called Elf, Alfie, and this is what happened," you know, and you're like, "Yeah, I've heard of it, man." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So. Uh... You know, you're uh, you know you're talking to us about a film today. American audiences are largely familiar with you uh, from your television work, and you're also heading back to the stage um, not too long from now. Uh, between those three mediums, you know, film, television, and and the stage, is there a medium that you uh, that you prefer? You find yourself drawn to more than the others, or is it is it a joy for you to kind of balance between the three, between uh, cinema, television, and theater work? Yeah, no, you can't really pick one. It's a bit. I always think it's a bit like saying, "What do you prefer, music or film?" You know, they're just so different, um, and they all have something that you that you. If you're lucky enough to be able to do to do all three, then you, then they all have something that you wouldn't want to lose. You know, like the, obviously the great thing about theatre is the buzz of being in front of a live audience, doing the play from start to finish every night. You know, and having that. You know, have that. that you can't. You can't really. You can't recreate that anywhere else, you know, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't, you know, when you're doing a film or a television show, if you if you if you fuck it up, you just go sorry and you do it again. Uh, you can't, you can't obviously you can't do that on stage. You have to kind of keep, you know, keep 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 it going. Um, uh, and uh, so that's so I'm very excited to go and do, and do a play, and I I haven't I haven't done one for a couple of years, so I'm, ex- I'm you know I'm nervous and excited about that. Um, you know, but uh, but the same in the same vein. You know, we the movies. You, you know, the, the, you can't beat the silver screen. And when you you know go to a movie premiere and you get to see this film that's that you finished doing, you know, maybe a year ago, and now it's all come together with the music and the, and they've edited it, and you get to see it on a massive screen. That's obviously incredibly exciting and that feels like the stuff of legend you know it's not you know i don't think anyone grows up thinking i'm going to be in movies i certainly didn't you know (laughs) that's 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 like a it's an impossible thing to imagine 
Um, and then, of course, you know, we're living in the golden age of television, where television has become, in terms of its quality, as good as a lot of movies. You know, and we've got and with the television, the, 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 the streaming services and the networks and the, and the cable channels are flooded with movie stars, you know, and, and, and you know, Oscar-winning directors and producers who are, who are getting involved with it. And this content is... There's more content than there's ever been, and there's, it's you know it's, it's a very thrilling time to be doing that. So, um, so yeah, all all of it, whatever whatever's going, wherever the next job is, I think. <laughs> so just kind of on that vein, I mean, you know, Daredevil just ended its run on Netflix. We talked a little bit about how you're going to be on stage. What's next for you? Tell us what the play is. What else you got going on? The, the play is um, called Betrayal. It's um, it's a Harold Pinter play. Um, there's three cast members in it. Um, it's uh, myself, Tom Hiddleston, and Zari Ashton. Um, it runs in London and the West End from March to uh, March to June. Um, uh, it's with a director who I've worked with before on another Harold Pinter play ten years ago called um, uh, Jamie Lloyd. Um, so lots, you know, nice for me to go. I've been living in New York for the last five years, so it's nice to go home for a little bit and spend some time with my family and back in London and, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, probably be teased by all my friends for the Americanisms I've picked up over, <laughs> over the last few years. Um, and, you know, I think one of the, one of the, one of the, if you're lucky enough to be an actor, you know, a working actor, obviously, you know, I've spent lots of, lots of my, my career unemployed as well. And that's always, uh, you know, worrying and stuff. But if you're, when you are lucky to work and, and do different, lots of different types of jobs, the, of course, the wonderful thing about that is that, you know, you get different experiences. You're not having years and years and years at a time in the same environment. You know, you get to change your location. You get to change the, the people, you know, your, your, your work colleagues, you know, the, the, the material they're working on. It gets to be varied, and that's um, obviously very thrilling. Definitely. Um, would you ever want to return to the Daredevil character, maybe on Disney Plus, the big screen, anything like that? Yeah, I, I, I'm in my heart. I'm not. I'm. I'm not done with it yet. Um, uh, and until they tell me I can't, that, that, until someone says that's never going to happen, I, I'm just going to live in hope. At the moment, I have no. I have no reason to believe. The, either way, what will happen? I'm not. I'm not told, and, and so I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm sure people are having conversations um, elsewhere, where and figuring out what, what what they can do and what they want to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I'm just going to kind of get on with my life and live in hope that that, that it can have another life at some point. It, it probably won't happen any you know, in the next year or so. Probably have to be a, bit of a, a kind of a, a couple of years time at the earliest. But you know, hopefully. Something can happen, I don't, and I, I just don't know what that will be. And I'm not, and I don't know. No one's told me anything, and I, and so I'm just gonna, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't, I feel like we've still got lots of stories to tell, and I, and and if I'm lucky enough to be, to be, to be asked to to, to tell them, then I will, I would jump at that opportunity. Yeah, awesome, oh, awesome. I understand. <laughs> so here on Fan Theory, we believe everyone is a fan of something. So we like to ask our guests what they're a fan of right now. So. What are you enjoying? What, you know, TV show, books, music? What's something that you're enjoying right that now? Can't be your own thing. That's banned. People keep doing it. So that's out. But what are you just enjoying these days? People say, people, is that true? People say they're enjoying They'll be like, well, my book is out. Show. I'm like, no, you can't say your We just talked about your book. Oh, my God. I'm so, I'm way too English. I would never be able to say <laughs> um, 
no, 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 I wouldn't say that. Um, okay, I am. Um, I not that long ago. It's not that recent, but I but it's. I thought it was so good that I think it's worth mentioning. I thought the leftovers was. Mm. I recently got kind of got into that and mm-hmm. watched it start to finish in a in a couple of weeks, and I thought that was uh, one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, what else? Um, last night I watched this incredible documentary called um, Trans Military. Okay. Um, which is about transgender um, soldiers in the army, in the U.S. Oh, Army. Interesting. Um, that was uh, that was uh, very very moving. Um, uh, so I watched that last night. Um, let's see. Um, what else? Am I reading anything interesting? I just read *Sapiens*. Um, this really cool book um, about the history of humankind. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'm not very you know like I'm uh, a lot of those very detailed smart history books that kind of go over my head. I'm not smart enough for that stuff. <laughs> this is a, this is so good because it's it's because um, it's so it's so the, the, it's very easy to read and it's very compelling and mm-hmm. it reads more like fiction than it does a, like a, a history book. So I really enjoyed that. Awesome. Um, I think that's kind of it. There's nothing else I can think of. <laughs> well, those are those, I, to be honest. Those... My life at the moment is a little bit. I'm reading a lot of Harold Pinter stuff again. I'm reading, yeah. his, I'm reading his biography. I'm reading. I'm kind of getting ready for that. So I'm kind of in the. I'm in the. Um, I'm in the Harold Pinter world. And and uh, on YouTube, they have. You know, when he when he was writing a lot of his early work in the in the 60s and the 70s, they would put the state. They would put the play on in London, and then it would get fantastic reviews. And then they would film it, but they would film it in uh, you know a TV version of it with the same cast. You know, it was a different time then, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they would get, get the same cast who did the play, and then they'd film, it. They'd film a television version of it. And they're all on YouTube, and you can watch them for free. Oh. And it's, you know, if you're, anyone's interested out there, go and watch, you know, The Homecoming with Ian Holm or, or uh, you know, um, The Birthday Party and all these great Harold Pinter plays from the, uh, from the 70s, 60s, 70s. Awesome, awesome. Well, Charlie, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you today, sir. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and I uh, hope we get the chance to chat again soon. Thank you. Likewise, thank you so much. And we're back. That was our conversation with Charlie Cox. Um, now, in the true fan theory spirit of things, Felicia and I are going to tell you what we are fans of right now. Um and a little bit of a spoiler, this is something Felicia and I were actually discussing in the office this morning. We usually like to go into these conversations cold, but this is such a hot-button piece of culture that we couldn't contain ourselves. Felicia, <laughs> what are we enjoying right now? The Fire Festival documentaries on Netflix and Hulu. Yes. Um, full disclosure, I've only seen the Netflix one, but I thought it was a lot of fun. It was, it was the most fun I've ever had watching a train wreck or a car crash. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, man. Um, yeah, folks, if you somehow don't know what the Fire Festival was supposed to be, it was supposed to be this epic luxury music and lifestyle festival in the in the, in the Bahamas, headlined by Ja Rule and Blink-182, and not surprisingly, things went very badly. Um, but now there are two rival documentaries out. Uh, Felicia, how would you say the two films compare, the, the Netflix version and the Hulu version? Well... Given the producers and kind of how each one came to be, 
they almost end up being completely different documentaries. Yes, they're about the same festival. Um, and I guess they were in some sort of weird competition because the Netflix one, long ago announced, trailer, all the things. And then about five days before it was set to debut and be released on Netflix, the Hulu one came out of nowhere, just straight to Hulu. It's here. Here's the trailer. Watch ours first mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. I don't I don't know what's up with that. But um, it kind of provided this interesting landscape where everyone's like rushing these think pieces. Everyone's rushing to watch both of them and compare and contrast. And the I think the reason you're going to see so many say, I don't know which one's right for you. So watch both of them is because they're so different in a way, in their conclusions, that they're like companion pieces to each other. It sounds almost like it's a bit of a Rashomon effect. Like you take a a real event, or you take something that happens and have two people tell you the story of how it happened and you get two entirely different stories. Yes and no, because if we're really like nitpicking at Rashomon, that was because there was a singular event and then there was competing versions of the truth. The reason why these differ, if you guys will allow me to wade into the weeds here, is because the Netflix version, um, in addition to having some Vice stuff, you know, the Vice reporters, etc., also included the guys from Jerry Media. Jerry Media was one of the media companies that was working with Fire Media and the very famous, infamous now, you know, notorious Billy McFarlane to put on Fire Festival. They went. They were, they flew down. They thought they were a part of it. And um, this, that, th- therefore, in my opinion, uh, critical opinion, <laughs> uh, the Netflix version does spend a healthy amount of time almost exonerating not only them, but maybe others around Billy McFarlane. There's, def- there's definitely, in certain parties on the Netflix version, there's definitely an air of a covering of one's we behind. We Yes. And I, I'm not saying they did. I'm not calling anyone out or anything. But I am saying that is how it's structured. A lot of it is structured around a look what he did. Look, look what he did. We knew nothing. Whereas with the Hulu one, also a lot of journalists, it spends a lot of, especially the first third of it, talking about influencers. There's a lot of social media commoners. There's um, other people that are kind of included that really talk about social influence and just how they played a large role. That's mentioned in the other documentary, but doesn't play as such as a key kickoff of the documentary. And then the other big thing about the Hulu one is they include interviews with Mr. McFarland himself, along Mm. with his girlfriend. So that gives an entirely different um, narrative structure to that documentary, because while you kind of, you know, emoji hand to face, hmm, oh, so I got to hear from this guy? it also then, again, narratively, every time he would say something bonkers in these now new interviews that they apparently paid for, um, they could just be like, nope, nope, this is where that's wrong, this is where that's wrong, this is where that's false. He said this about when he was a child, and look at the long string of, it, it talked not only about the the social influence, but also just the, the many crimes of Billy McFarland. And so that isn't exactly the, the face that they present, I think, in the Netflix one, which was more, um, did also talk a lot about the people who were victimized, including the people, the very people around him. This one, the Net- the Hulu one is kind of like, everyone's at fault. Everyone is at fault. He had a long list of scams. He is a scammer. It pretty much calls him to his face. I mean, he was there. They were talking to him. Yeah. And... 
it, it basically says, you know, everybody went down with him. Everyone contributed to his mania. And so, yes, they examine Fire Festival. They examine all the rich kids who, you know, I think the internet laughed at when it just didn't come to be. And they were just like, I'm sorry about your toast and your tent. Person who could, you know, afford to spend $10,000 on a luxury event. But, you know, I think what gets forgotten in that is it's easy to call out like the $50,000 non-existent luxury house that never existed. But what about the people who scrounged together money to have a one-time experience based on the kind of lives they see led on Instagram? Yeah. You know, what about all those people who worked, particularly the ones in the Bahamas, who were contracted to help work this, who had the restaurants, who were coming out to work on site, who never Never got paid. I mean, they basically disappeared in the night, everybody, and no one thought about them. So it isn't just rich kids getting scammed. It was a whole lot of people getting hurt. There were people who worked for Billy McFarland, and they were basically brought in a room, and he's like, can't pay you, get out. Didn't lay them off. They couldn't get an employment, apparently. I don't know actually how that worked out, but they they were like, if you don't lay us off, we cannot collect unemployment. And, you know, so those people were left out to dry all this work they've been doing for years for him, having nothing to do with the festival and not a paycheck, not a... Yeah. So they do end up being like these puzzle pieces that fit together to tell the larger story of what we know. And me as a journalist, I love it. Give me more. Like I, I kind of like fitting them together and seeing how they pair up because they are, they're telling different stories. And I, I really find that fascinating when it's, you know, either documentary or competing books or podcasts that all approach the same incident or the same case from different angles because every, you know, every perspective brings other stuff to light, emphasizes different things. So that is what Felicia and I are enjoying right now is the Fire Festival documentaries on Netflix and Hulu. Um, what are all of you liking right now? Let us know in the comments on social media. And again, thank you to Charlie Cox for talking to us about King of Thieves. For the Fan Theory Podcast and the Asbury Park Press, I've been Alex Bice. Felicia Wellington Riddell. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Fan Theory. The Fan Theory Podcast is part of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. You can listen to new episodes every Friday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. For the latest updates, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit us at abp.com slash fan theory, where you can subscribe to our weekly fan theory newsletter. Uh.